Welcome to the official podcast of Comics Beer and Sci-Fi. Brought to you by Crystal Bright Janitorial, The Brand Barbershop, Greco Printing and Imaging, and Able Ideas. Before we get started, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow Comics Beer and Sci-Fi on all your favorite social media apps. Now, on with the show! Hey, it's a broadcast, and I am here at the Motor City Comic Con Fall Edition with Stephen Williams. Stephen, thank you for talking to us. You're quite well. I'm getting ready to up your ratings. That's what I'm getting ready to do for it. I'm getting ready to raise his ratings sky high. You have a really vast uh, uh, number of, of things that you've been in, but I, I want to ask you about oh, some things. It, there you go. There it is. Um, I love you in uh, X-Files. As, as Mr. X, um, but you have some other really interesting things you have done in the Blues Brothers. What was it like working with John Candy and, and, and that whole crew of people? Unfortunately, you cannot ask them, but the question should be, what was it like working with Stephen Williams? Now, John's gone, both Johns are gone, Candy and Belushi. Landis is not gone, is he? No, hell no, no. I'm talking about John Belushi and oh, uh, and uh, Candy. No, quite. You know, in, in all seriousness, it was awesome, man. It was my second movie. My first movie was Cooley High. Um, Blues Brothers was my second movie ever. I'd been working on stage in Chicago for a little while, but I was a very new actor. I was a neophyte to the business. So working with all of those celebrities, and we had a shitload of celebrities that would come to set to visit the other celebrities, you know? So it was quite an exciting adventure for me. And the biggest thing about it, this movie was shot primarily in Chicago. I was hired for two weeks, right? So we had one scene left that I was to do and they were getting ready to leave town. So they said, Stephen, it was a night scene. They said, Stephen, we're gonna fly you out to LA, finish up that scene. Now, remember, I've been hired for two weeks. Now the two weeks is up, they fly me to LA. I figure they're gonna shoot me in a couple of days and send me back home. Three months later, three months later, I had, they had not gotten to the shot yet. They, were, they put me up in a great hotel, Universal Sheridan. I'm being paid a salary, I'm being paid per diem. Every night, cause the night shot, sun goes down, they'd come pick me up, take me down the set. I would sit there. Sun would come up, they'd go, yeah, Mr. Williams, yeah, we're not going to get to your shot. You wrapped. I'd get out of costume. They'd take me back up to the hotel. This went on for three months, man. It was the most beautiful gig ever. So while I'm staying at the Sheridan, I get to meet Telly Savalas, uh, Tom Selleck, and just a, a manure load <laughs> of personalities and stars that I had never met just living there. So, yeah, so it was a great experience. And it introduced me to Hollywood. While I was there, I got to know Stephen J. Cannell and a whole bunch of other folks, and I started working in, in L.A. in film, you know? So, besides the movies, and I do want to ask you, what is it like working with uh, Chuck Norris, and what do you think about all the crazy things they say about Chuck Norris, the jokes, the memes? Hey, let me tell you something. We did, um, I forget what it was, 1984, Missing in Action 2. Chuck Norris, in my opinion, 
one of the nicest human beings you will ever meet. Oh, just a super him and his wife, me and my wife at the time. We met them, hung out with them on, Saint, on the island of St. Kitts. Let me tell you what Chuck did. His manager had gotten him the best unit. Where were we staying? The Royal St. Kitts is where we were staying. He had gotten the best suite, the best unit there. His manager negotiated. Chuck traded that out to the production company so the production company could have a bigger place to operate out of and took a, 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 a unit just like the rest of us, you know? That's how cool he was, you know? Every morning you wanted to go downstairs and sit at his table or his wife's table. Chuck has a problem if you don't like him. No, really, that's how nice he is. It hurts him. It actually hurt, it, hurt him to, to not be loved, you know, like, everybody loves Chuck Norris, man. It's like, it's like saying, hey, man, that's Tyra Banks, man. You know, that's the same way Chuck is. That's Chuck Norris, pal. So it was great working with him. He was one of the fellas, you know, just like the rest of us, like I said. And we had a ball. And we knew each other. We, we kept in touch. Later on, I went uh, to Texas when they got back. I did a movie of the week for uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, with him and his brother. Uh, so yeah, over the years I've kept in touch, said hello and howdy from time to time. And Chuck is just a super guy. And I don't know about the bad things they're saying about him. I haven't heard any of the... It's it's a, um, I, I'm not real familiar with him, but it's uh, Chuck Norris is like a superhero, basically. So they, they do a lot of, they say a lot of stuff that way. Um, I wanted to ask you, you because you've been in this business for so long, um, I mean, going on, what, 40 years, you were in a, uh, you got an award for Joplin. Did you sing or did you play Joplin? Oh, yeah. I was nominated for uh, two, two separate plays during the time I was on stage. Uh, one was Joplin, one was a black version of the Cinderella story, Cinderella Brown. And I was nominated for the Jefferson Award, the Joseph Jefferson Award in Chicago. It's sort of like the Tonys in, in sure. New York. It's a stage award. Okay. And I was nominated... Uh, for two different shows in one season. <laughs> Unfortunate thing was, what the hell was his name? There was only one other nominee in the category, and he worked for Second City, and he won the goddamn award. I mean, I thought I was a shoe-in. I mean, I'm nominated for two shows, man, but he was a Second City guy, so. And you know how hot Second City was back then. Yeah, but it was the, uh, the Je no, the Jeffersons, yeah. I said the Jefferson Award. Yeah, so I do sing. I think that's the question yes, you were asking. I do. Let me put it this way. I'm told, and I love to sing, that I have a great voice, okay? I don't consider myself a singer because I know what, I know music a little bit. I got a lot of musician friends. And there's a difference between having a great voice and being a singer. You know what I'm saying? Luther Vandross was a singer. You know what I'm saying? Um even, uh, what's his name, uh, Teddy Pendergrass, singers, you know. And I go back to the old school guys. These new guys that are singing now, there's so much note correction and, and electronics involved that, you know, what the hell, Nat King Cole was a singer. Johnny Hartman was a singer, you know, so yeah. But I love music. I love music. You will hear from me down the line, the good Lord willing, you will hear some music from Stephen Williams. I got a lot of friends in the business. They've been trying to get me in the studio forever. 
But you know what's really strange? It's the one thing that I shake when I do. You know, I can act in front of a camera, on stage, here, right now. But when I see, it's a nervous thing. Everybody's got one of those, I think. All, all performers have at least one something that they're really nervous about. You know, singing is mine. So what are you working on now? You've, you've been on the stage, you've been on the, in the movies, you've been on TV. What are you doing now? Look out for something called a Waco, the Aftermath. It's a story of, you know, the David Koresh story and the aftermath of all that stuff. You know, the FBI's and the ATF's and how they messed up. Uh, that's coming out. I'm doing a show called All Rise. Uh, and it's a network show. I think it's on OWN now. Um, I'm doing a recurring character on there. I'm doing a recurring character on a show called The Family Business and a recurring uh, character on a show called The Black Hamptons. And I'm probably doing something else that I don't remember. <laughs> what was it like working with Vic Morrow on the Twilight Zone movie? What a tragedy. What a tragedy. The big tragedy were the kids. Um, if it weren't for those kids, that what probably would have been blown over is just an accident. <laughs> I'll tell you a story, man, because, you know, like I said, I'm uncensored. When we were on set, Vic is either a method actor or a racist. He was either a method actor or a racist because none of the brothers liked him. He was very rude, just not a likable man to black men. When he... When the accident happened, some of the brothers from set called me up and said, yo, Steve, Vic got killed last night. And I went, yeah, good, good, because I thought they were joking, you know? And they said, no, turn on your news. He really got killed last night. And I turned on the news and that was what was happening. So that was a tragic, tragic thing to happen. My personal experience with Vic, he just, he just didn't feel right. And like I said, some of the other brothers said, hey, man, this motherfucker is racist. You know, you can do something with that word. <laughs> and you got to remember, this is what year was that? You got to remember, man, this is, uh, you know, this is still the most racist country on the planet. So a black man doing a scene like that, I, I th thank you for that. It was powerful. Yeah, because I was feeling some of that. I was feeling some of that from real life, from real life, you know, couldn't help it. There's no way I could not feel, you know, put some of that real life into that scene, into that theatrical scene. There was not a lot of positive energy there, you know. And the tragedy, the double tragedy was that I think we already had that shot, uh, but the director just wanted it to be a little bit bigger because I think he was competing with a couple other directors during that era for, for largeness in a film, you know, excitement and da da da. And the next shot, the explosion got too big. I understand that a piece of debris went up, hit the rotor, the tail rotor, bam, brought it down. So God bless them all. God rest their souls. You know, the two kids and big. Is there, do you have a, a dream project that you, that nobody started but you would like to do? My dream project, man, is to stay healthy, stay alive, and to continue working in this business like I've been. I am a very blessed and fortunate man. There's not very many actors who have worked as consistently and who have a resume as long as mine and who's still doing it, who's still working. I'm very blessed, and that's all I want to continue to do. That's, that's it.
really don't want to be a quote unquote <laughs> star because I'm too unfiltered, too unfiltered, too uncensored, and I like my private life too much. And, you know, I'll do that in a heartbeat, you know, to somebody. And that's not a good thing when you're trying to do the business of the business. So I'm a happy camper just doing what I'm doing right now. Like I said, I'm blessed. Well, God bless you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. We, we really do appreciate it. We are all fans. I really do enjoy everything I see you in. And uh, I hope you are blessed to continue a, a much uh, appreciated longer uh, career. Hey, this is Mark at the Motor City Comic Con. If you're a fan of vintage comic books, we have a treat for you. This here is Darren Watts. He is the subject of one of the subjects of an upcoming documentary called Selling Superman. Tell us, how did this all get started? One word, my father. Um, Multi-generational collection, was collecting uh, since the uh, mid-60s when he was at U of M Law School. And um, really just amassed uh, one of the more amazing collections you'll find out there, over 300,000 comics of all genres. Um, have a couple of real special ones like uh, a Superman 170, Batman 180. But uh, the real key is the multiples. You know, he has multiples of a lot of the uh, most uh, key books. So pretty special. So how did this uh, documentary come about? Well, the doc came because I had a high school friend that knew my father, knew me, uh, that ended up uh, getting in the movie business. And um, his name is Adam, and he's from Eye to Eye Productions. So, you know, he graduated from Cornell and decided, you know what, I want to make movies for a living. So he went out to L.A. and uh, started doing his passion, made several, several successful documentaries. When I was telling him about the story um, after my father's passing, he was really captivated by the idea, the fact that this was a hidden collection. You know, uh, my, father, um, uh, my father never shared it with my brother and me. You know, it was always hidden in the house. It was always um, something where he's always worried about, you know, security. It was hidden away. Uh, we never enjoyed it together. So when I explained that I wanted to do something totally different with the collection and I wanted to get it out to the fandom and I wanted to have the young collectors benefit uh, and enjoy it with my friends, you know, um, he thought that was really interesting. So we're following that journey. So when you first inherited all, this, all these collectibles, what, what was that like trying to go through all that? Well, you know, I had, I had begged my father for years to make this a family thing and to enjoy it, um, you know, maybe with my brother and my wife and, and you know, my stepkids or who, whatever. Um, so it was pretty overwhelming because, you know, when you have that kind of mass, it's not just comics. It's baseball cards, um, you know, all sports cards, really. You know, things down to garbage pail kids, if you remember those. Uh, Star Wars toys, vintage, the originals and all in their original boxes, the figures. So... The depth and scale of it was massive. Um, luckily, I, I uh, have other businesses whereupon I own a, a warehouse, and I had to bring in three shipping containers, literally the ones that go across the ocean, you know, on the barges, uh, just to house the stuff, if that gives you any kind of sentiment on the scale. So uh, it's been an amazing process to just kind of go through it and see what's been there. Now, have you had any, like, disagreements with your family on who gets what? Not at all. Um, my, my mother divorced my father earlier, um, and, you know, she really wanted no part of this. And, uh, you know, if you see the, 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 the sizzle, the trailer that we've made so far, you know, my mother's a key part of it, and she, she, she says that right then and there. Um, it, it was just toxic to her. Uh, and then my younger brother is, um, you know, special needs, so I watch over him with my mom. And, um, 
you know, he, he really is removed from it. So no, there was really no contention on that at all. Um, so we're enjoying it with friends, family, and um, the end collector. Now you're trying to get it out to everyone and you're, and you're actually having a lot of dealers like sell these under consignment. What is that like? Exactly. So, you know, I met Josh here from Hatchback Comics uh, uh, over a year ago and was really impressed with his hustle. You know, I wanted to really partner with uh, someone that was up and coming, you know, to really benefit them and, and propel their business. And then I also have stuff with guys like Harley E, who don't need any introduction, you know, and been staples in the industry for 40-something years and, uh, you know, have a different reach than, you know, some of the smaller guys will. So we're hitting it from both sides. And, again, it's been incredibly humbling, and everyone we've met, it's been amazing to work with, and um, yes, we have several uh, books for consignment um, with them, so check them out, Harley Yee and Hatchback Comics, uh, at the local shows you go to. So when uh, is the documentary slated to come out? You know, it's a great question, because we don't even know how exactly how it's going to end yet, you know, there's still a lot of heavy decisions to be made. Um, you know, what are we going to do with some of the more key books? Um, there's some emotional values there. Um, if you ask the director, he'd say in late 2023, um, and we'll have to see. You know, it's a um, right now it's a self-funded effort, but we're looking for backers as well. Um, it, it it should touch a lot of people in a lot of different ways. You know, my father had Asperger's, so that was something that uh, we dealt with. We didn't know at the time what he had. So you know, there's a lot of dynamic to it. Uh, that it's not just about comics. You know what I mean? It's about the relationships, and in my father's case, the lack of the relationships. So um, we're trying to make some of that right. It was an awesome trailer. We really liked it. Well, anyways, this is a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, Thank you. This is Mark with Darren at the Motor City Comic Con. Hi, this is Chris from Comics, Beer, and Sci-Fi, and I am here with Mr. Dave Atkins, who's quite an accomplished artist, and we just wanted to do a Q&A and ask him a few questions, get to know him and about him and how he got into the industry. So... How did you get into the industry? Which industry are you talking about? The art industry. Oh, Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. Oh, baby. Well, I went to one of those fancy art schools that the kids talk about, and uh, that got me uh, going into commercial art, and I actually ended up working for an illustration uh, studio outside of Columbus, Ohio, and uh, they worked for Hasbro and toy companies and did a lot of that stuff. So I got started there with what we like to call in the industry the world of licensed characters. Ooh. And uh, that kind of uh, got the attention of Nickelodeon. So back in uh, 2001, Nickelodeon called and they said, hey, we have this uh, show called Dora the Explorer. And uh, do you want to do like a little uh, sample illustration for that? See if you want to be a part of that? I said, eh, sure. And uh, that... Uh, who knew? So that started that, and that started working on Dora for, I don't know, we were the next 15 years or so before that quiet. I think Dora's coming back next year. Uh, and that just started the relationship working with Nick, and that started uh, working in children's books with the uh, licensed characters. And uh, about 20 years plus, 200 plus books later, I am still standing. So there, that's what happens when you don't leave the house. Hey, so uh, I got a question for you. Okay. Did you have any uh, art input, artistic input into the Dora movie? Into the Dora movie? No. Oh, no. I don't have any artistic input into anything with Nick. I do what they tell me, and uh, they're very nice, and I say thank you. 
and uh, they say, you're welcome, because they're very nice. Uh, but no, you know, when you're doing the licensed character stuff uh, for publishing uh, or for products or anything, you are kind of at the very end of the decision-making process normally. Uh, when you're not, it's, that's a bad sign because it usually means that the owner of the license, the licensor, the creator owner has not done all the work and, uh, and they don't tend to want to pay you to do the rest of the work, whereas something like Nick has made all their decisions, they've done all that work, they present you with everything and they say, here, this is what you need to do, keep doing it. So, and when you work on things like movie books and things, um, you know, they're, they're in the process of making the movie. It's a bit of a pain because you're not working from finished animation. You're looking at storyboards, you're looking at concept art and trying to adapt that into books. And, you know, that's a, that's a bit of a pain. But we know that and we're used to it. So when we do like SpongeBob movie books and things, we just have to factor in that little extra bit of time and irrit irritant. Um, but everybody in the publishers, everybody's super cool. At Nickelodeon, everybody's super cool. You'd expect with Random House, the biggest publisher on the planet, Nickelodeon's huge. You know, they're the big leagues. You expect maybe they could be big league kind of, you know, attitudes. And everybody's super pleasant and lovely. So, so there. They're not making me say this. Anyway, so that is that an, that's a that's a long answer. That's a long answer. It's a thorough answer. But believe it or not, it's actually a good answer. Thorough. Quite so. Uh, so, how did you figure out that, that you wanted to go into illustration in the art industry? What what happened where you said, you know what, I'm not half bad at this, uh, and I think I'm gonna give it a shot uh, career-wise. Ah, uh, Dad was a car designer for Ford, so art was not a mystery in the Aikens household. We had markers; they smelled good. Um, so yeah, we just drew. Dad drew, we drew. Um, I have a brother, he drew. We had comics. Dad bought comics, he'd buy car magazines, buy us a comic. Uh, so we had comic books and we drew. It was not, there was no mystery. Um, and eventually as high school came, you know, high school years, uh, you know, when you're the kids at school, you everybody, you know, always got the, that's the kid that draws. So uh, by the time high school came along, I had a feeling that this was all that I really, was probably useful for. Uh, so art school was not a mystery because my dad went to art school. So, you know, it, it was not, uh, the only real question was more of, do, do I want to draw cars? And the answer was, oh, hell no. I don't want to draw cars at all. Ugh. Um, because, you know, that little bit of, well, dad works for Ford. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I had my portfolio going for art school, you know, by sophomore, junior year of, of high school. I had portfolios. I was doing figure drawing classes out of high school uh, or at a separate place. Um, there was a store in Livonia that also had classes. So we would do that. I would do that on like Monday nights, take a portfolio class, take a, an adult figure drawing class. I got to draw naked live women when I was 15. And that got me a big scholarship, kids. So basically what I'm saying is, you figure it out. So it paid off. So uh, that big um, college, art college that you went to, yeah. what's the name of it? I went down to Columbus College of Art and Design in Columbus. I, I didn't do, are, are you guys Detroit? 
area folks? Yes. yes. I didn't do a CCS. Uh, I, I, at the time, this would have been 91. I, I didn't really want to be driving downtown Detroit uh, and, and hanging out down there in 1991. Um, lovely school. But at the time, they were really known for, again, with my dad working for Ford, CCS was a big automotive design, industrial design school back then. Um, it's, I think it's changed. A lot of things have since 1991. I've changed a bit. The hair is going. Um, and graying. Yeah. Where am I? Um, so, yeah. No, I... That seemed a good a good three-hour drive down to Columbus, and they gave me lots of uh, scholarship money, so I went down there. And at the time, it was a it was a wonderful school. I don't know if I asked you this already, but what are you working on now? Uh, what am I working on now? I finished up some Baby Shark stuff. Um, there's a. It's weird these days. It's changed a lot over 20 years. It used to be Nickelodeon and and these you know big big things. And now it's Netflixy things, and there's a YouTube uh, kids show thing that that I think is trying to break into children's books um, that that should be starting up here soon. And then you know Nickelodeon has things that pop in. Um, this year's been a little bit weirder and slower because of supply chain issues, I think, and, and whatnot. But yeah, Blues Clues is, is I think, still going on. Uh, SpongeBob comes and goes. They've got the Camp Coral show was doing books of that. I think, like I said, Dora, I think, is coming back next year. Hopefully, it'll be part of that. So yeah. And then um, I do a lot of product design work for the Hamilton Collection, which is a division of Bradford Exchange. Are they actually doing a line of monster statues that I that are licensed through me? So they actually, for once, something has my name on it, and you know, I actually own part of it or get royalties or something. I don't know. It's probably about it. I do commissions and things to take a break and actually, uh, you know, use markers and use the drawing table instead of the computer. So that's fun. Well, all right. I really appreciate your time and your thorough explanations on absolutely everything. Yeah. <laughs> It's good stuff. I, you know, I talk a lot because uh, they don't let me out of the house much. No, I, I agree. I agree. Takes one to know one. <laughs> <laughs> this is Chris from Comics, Beer, and Sci-Fi signing off. That's it for this episode of the Comics, Beer, and Sci-Fi podcast. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.